Thank you for joining us this week. It's our honor to serve you and be part of your walk with Christ. Don't forget to check out our website at lifefamilychurch.net. Have a blessed week and remember, the best is yet to come. Open your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 out of the King James Version, it says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. A sound from heaven. I know that the theme with Pastor Rodney is, uh, you know, a sound from heaven this week. And it just kind of resonated with me, a sound from heaven. The... TPT, the, what is it, Um, my favorite, yes, the Passion Translation in Acts 2, 1 says this, on the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place, suddenly they heard the sound, they heard the sound, so heaven has a sound, come on, heaven has a sound, now, I want to kind of talk to the ones tonight that haven't really gotten the joy bubbling out of your belly. Because I think sometimes we struggle with, I don't know, with things. Maybe we struggle with the manifestation of joy. Maybe we struggle with that. I know that this week there will be a manifestation of joy and people will get drunk this week and people will get healed this week at Pastor Rodney's, for sure. Because he's a, he's a man of the Word and he's a man of the Spirit. Come on, hello somebody. And so I want to share with you a little bit, and I'm going to tell you, talk to you all about my testimony and Pastor Marie's testimony and the reason why we are the way we are, which people think that we're very unusual people. We, we, we kind of go against the grain. We're not in the norm of what everybody else, we're, we're kind of swimming upstream. We swim upstream. That's kind of the thing we do. And actually, you know, it, it's actually God because he's diverse. His body's diverse, okay? But we're, we're a little peculiar. I'll just put it that way. I won't put unusual, but we're peculiar. The way we do ministry is peculiar, okay? Because we are, God is a God of order, so therefore we are, are people of order. Um, and people don't understand, when they come here, they, they don't understand all the protocol, they don't understand all the, everything that we go through, but he, here's the deal. Pastor Marie and I have been doing this for 23 years, and we've traveled all over the world. And I cannot tell you how many churches that we've been in. I've been in Baptist churches, I've been in Methodist churches, I've been in non-denominational churches, I've been in Word and Faith churches, I've been Word and Doubt and Unbelief churches, I've been in the First Church of the Frigidaire. I've been, all, I've been on, in all kinds of churches all over. I've been in the church where all the flag wavers of the church left the current church because whatever reason, and then they all showed up. It's like smokers. You have a thousand people and smokers seem to find each other and then they congregate in the corner and smoke a cigarette. It's the same thing with the flag wavers and the shofar blowers. They always seem to find one another. They just do. I mean, I was in a church in Joplin, Missouri, and there was 100 people there and everyone had a flag and everyone had a shofar or a tambourine. Imagine that. They all just got together. Amen. They even had a blue tarp. Praise God. That was stuffed in the pulpit. 
And then when it came to time to get in the river, they pulled the blue tarp out, and they sure did. And right across the front of the church and right down the center aisle, and everybody got out of their pews, and they got into the river. Praise God, amen. And they were splashing one another. Hello, somebody. I mean, I've seen, I've seen it all. I've heard it all. Come on now. I, I've been in 10-member churches, and I've been in churches with 5,000 people and preached for 5,000 people. I've been in crusades with 3,000 people, 1,000 people, up to, all the way to 60,000 people. The largest crusade that we were a part of was the Haiti crusade in which you were a part of. That was, would you say there was at least over 60,000? That might have been a little even less, or probably more, right? Yeah, it's probably more because that whole, that whole city, yeah, fulfilled. To, yeah, they were on walls. They were, yeah, everything. So what we did was, what we did before we started the church is we met with how many pastors? Okay, you interviewed, right? The whole last year of full-time traveling, I interviewed every pastor. Okay, so we interviewed pastors, and this is what we'd ask. We'd ask them questions like this. What would you have done differently? What do you recommend on doing? What do you don't recommend on doing? Hello. And not only that, because of our travels, we were able to see what was succeeding in, in the ministry of helps and the ministry of service. Okay, so we got to take a part of everything that we could take a part of. And then we put it in one place. And then we, we also studied, you know, Solomon's temple. And we also studied the tabernacle of Moses that God gave Moses the instructions on how, how to build the tabernacle and how to build the tent down to the, 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 the yarn or the string that you use, the color of it and everything and everything, everything dimensionally supposed to be made. And so we brought that into God's church here on the earth and it shocks a lot of people because most people are used to chaos. They're used to not an organization. They're, they're not used to that. They're not used to... That where we have departments, we have protocol within those departments, not only to protect you, but to protect the people that we're covering over. And not only that, God wants to see if people are faithful. Can you be on time? Can you follow the rules? Can you follow the regulations? And we've been accused to be a cult-like because of that. I'm sorry to disappoint people today. I, we don't have any Kool-Aid in the hospitality room. I mean, we just don't. We have some bang in there. Bang, bang. Praise God. Amen. But we don't have any Kool-Aid. Sorry. And we're not interested in controlling people or controlling individuals. Please, the door is wide open. Go. Go fulfill what God's called you to do. Come on. Hello, somebody. Amen. I mean, I haven't yet, I haven't said anybody yet. I haven't, Pastor Nancy has said this, but I haven't. How many know Pastor Nancy Dufresne? Okay, Ed Nancy Dufresne, right? Pastor Nancy has said this, I mean, I, over the years, she's been pastoring for 25 years, and she said that one time there was a couple that came into the church, and she knew that they weren't supposed to be there, and she actually just said to them, hey, listen, I know you're looking for the pa a pastor, but I'm not, your, I'm not your pastor. Praise God, amen. Just, just go ahead and go to the next place. You'll be led. I feel sometimes the same way. Amen. Be led. I'm not interested in controlling people's lives. But we've had to learn this over the years. We've been accused of being the holy ruler church in Plant City. We've been accused of the Church of Scientology. Yeah, because at first the name of the church was the Synergy Church. It was CYN. Hello, and then we were joined. They started telling us we were part of the Church of Scientology there on Wheeler Street. Praise God. Amen. And when I told Pastor Rod today, he said, You need to change the name. I'm like, Yeah, we're changing the name. I said, What do you think about Life Family Church? He said, I think that's wonderful. I think that'll fit. So, 
So still, it's the, um, the incorporation is the Synergy Church, but Life Family Church is the name change. Amen. Hallelujah. So what we do is we just implement all of that, and then out of that, if people will run the race, finish the course, finish the impartation, they'll get to the destination a lot faster than if they resist. How do you know that? I did it. She can tell you countless of hours of me complaining. Why does this happen? How come I don't have any media? What's going on here? What's going on there? I just don't know why. why how come the pastor won't let me do this? How come he won't let me do that? I mean, doesn't he know that I'm highly anointed? <laughs> come on. Now, there were some things that he didn't do right, my, my pastor, but that's okay. You know, who's perfect, right? Nobody, ain't nobody perfect. We're working our salvation out with fear and trembling. Hello. And there was a point in time that I realized that no man's going to stop me from going into the destiny that God has for me. No devil, no demon, no nothing. And all right, I was called, but I was sticking my head in the meat grinder, and I was cranking on that sucker, and I was loving it the whole time. Because sometimes when you got that burning fire on the inside of you, you gotta, you got to give it out. When you know that you're called, that you're called, that you're called, there's nothing on the inside of you that's going to stop that. I'm just telling you right now. You won't even think, oh, I'm not sure if I'm called. When you know that you're called, when you know that it burns on the inside of you. So I was called to the ministry when I was 12 years old. I felt that call to the ministry at 12 years old. I was, at that time, my family on my mother's side was Church of Christ. My father's side was Church of God. But I went to a Baptist junior high school. And I went to a Methodist high school. And then occasionally I'd go to the Episcopal church. So if I wanted to be on fire for God, I'd go to the church of God during camp meeting because at least one person ran around the building once. If I wanted to be mellow with God, I'd go to the Episcopal church because at least they served real wine at communion. I mean, they would tell me that Jesus would stick to the roof of your mouth because you're not supposed to bite, bite the wafer because then you'd be, bite, <laughs> you'd be biting Jesus. So all of a sudden, he put, put that wafer on your tongue and suddenly it gets stuck to the roof and you're like the holes are trying to get the, you know, because the Eucharism, hello, the Eucharist, right? Come on, somebody, the Eucharist. How many are familiar with the Eucharist? Come on, where's my Catholic friends? Okay, there you go. With the Eucharist, you know, when you, when you, the, <laughs> The Catholics believe that when you take of the elements, it actually literally turns into the body of Jesus, and it turns into the blood of Jesus. I don't know how they got that, but that's where, and you, know, it's a, you can't chew the wafer, because you would be biting Jesus, and you just don't want to bite Jesus. Are you okay here this morning, I mean this evening? Do you know what time it is? Okay. <laughs> okay. Got born again when I was 12 years old at Spencer Memorial Baptist Junior High School. I was saved underneath the Baptist. Hello. The Baptist, their doctrine is pretty good. Come on, but when it comes to the Holy Ghost, they just stay away from that. But that's changed over the years because now the Southern Baptist has written a letter to all the churches. They are actually embracing the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you know that, but that is true now. The Southern Baptists are now embracing the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Look out. Could you imagine hitting a, a 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 member Baptist church and suddenly the whole place 
because the pastor went to a meeting and got filled with the Holy Ghost and he comes and preaches and the Holy Ghost falls just, it would be a sound from heaven. I want to tell you right now. So there's some things that we're getting ready to experience and denominations are getting ready to experience. So I was, I got saved at 12 years old. I felt the call to the ministry. I received Jesus in my heart and then I had this compulsion to want to be water baptized. So I went back to the Church of Christ on Florida Avenue. Florida Avenue Church of Christ. That's the church that I grew up in. And I remember when the pastor called for those that wanted to be water baptized, I went forward to get water baptized and I got water baptized. I behaved, I was 12 years old, for two weeks I was, a, I was an honor, honor kid. I'm just going to tell you, I obeyed my mom, I obeyed my grandparents. I was just, I was, two weeks I was just perfect. Praise God, amen. Only lasted about two weeks though. But then at 17 years old, I got filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues in a chapel service. I remember there was about 100 students in that chapel service because at Bayshore Christian High School, we would have chapel every week on a Wednesday, and all the student body would come in. And I think there was about 100, maybe 150 students or so. And I remember Herman Valdez taught on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He was the basketball coach and the principal at the time. And he called for students that wanted the baptism of the Holy Ghost to come forward. And then students that were in the chapel service that were filled with the Holy Ghost to come and lay hands on those that wanted to be filled. And I remember about 30 students came forward out of about 150. And I remember, and there, that old wooden altar is still there because the, we go there once a month now. We go there once a month at Bayshore. And they have a small little congregation, probably about 15 to 20, sometimes 25 people. And Herman Valdez is there and, and, and you know, Mary Wooten is there. And some of the ones that were, I mean, they were teachers at the time. And so from that, man's, from that man's life and ministry, him, him talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and me getting filled with the Holy Ghost on that Wednesday morning in that chapel service, now a million people have given their hearts to Jesus. And he has seen the crusade videos. And he's amazed. And then at one time they asked me to be on the board of the school and I was on the school board for a while. Wow. Amen. So I got filled with the Holy Ghost at 17. Married my wife when I was 19. She was 18. We fell away from the Lord. Started a business when we were 20, 21 years old. Hello, almost got divorced about 23 years old. Separated for a time. Went crazy. For about a three-month period. Went nuts. Got back together. Worked things out. Hello, when I was 26 years old, I had an encounter with God that radically changed my life. Radically. Amen. All the pain, all the hurt. I was in a service with Pastor Rodney. 1993, second week of March, on a Monday night, 1993, Carpenter's Home Church, which is actually no longer there, sitting in the pew, got thrown out of the pew, rolled up the aisle. Let's see the video. Can we put that video? I'm going to show you what happened to me in 1993. Look at this. Watch what happened. Give me some volume. Come here, brother. Quickly. Come Pastor right Rod, you just got done reading my book, Revival, The Last Call. Another wave. Come here.
video one more time if you would, please. Come here, brother, quickly. Come right here. Another wave. Come here. totally supernatural. It like it hit me. Boom. And when the anointing hit me, I started to roll. The same rolling happened here. We caught it on video. But it happened to me in 1993 when I was sitting in the pew and I rolled up the aisle. It was a sound from heaven. It was an encounter from heaven. And I'll be honest, if honest be true, I have tried to endeavor to Get people to come in contact with heaven. Even to my own detriment. But how, how in the world did you ever get to the place where you could have an encounter with God that radically changed your life? I got hungry. I got thirsty. I got desperate. And the anointing fell on me. This was 1997, I think it was. That happened in 1997. 2007, excuse me. That was 2007. It was, 10, it was 10 years later. Well, it was 1993 when I had the encounter, so it would have been 2000, 2003 would have been 10 years, right? It was 2007? Okay. So 14 years later. The same anointing that hit me in 1993 hit me. In this. The, the one that hit me in 1993 surprised me. It caught me off guard. It was like a, an angel with a Louisville slugger. Poof! Just knocked me right out of the pew and rolled me up there. Uh, this didn't surprise me because when he started, when he called me out, the anointing, that anointing that hit me in 1993 hit, <laughs> hit me in, in 2007. And we got it on video. Now I thought to myself, how could this be scriptural? Is this scriptural? And because I always ask the Lord because, you know, I don't want to be, people think I'm unusual as it is anyway. I just don't want people to think that I'm whacked out, lost my mind. And gone off the deep end. So, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 1. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And it says this in verse number 12. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. In verse 12 out of the Amplified, first part of the verse says, Like a mantle thrown about oneself, you will roll them up and they will be changed. Now, when you put this in context, he's talking about rolling up the heavens and rolling up the earth. Isn't that right? Okay, so let's put it in, con let's put it in context. What are you and I made up of? Earth. 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 So in perspective, he said, 
He will roll up the heavens and he will roll up the earth and it will be changed and so on and so forth. But here's the deal. In the mind of God, I'm made up of earth. Man came from earth. So if he wants to roll somebody up and they be changed, then that's God's perspective. Can you say amen? Amen. And so for 23 years, we've endeavored to help people get to a place where they will stick with it and they won't fall out. So many ministers fell out when the joy of the Lord hit, even when it hit Ramah. And there were ministers that kind of flowed with it, and today they don't even flow with it at all because they just think that it was a season or a time. But you know what? It was, that's a lie from the devil you got to be real careful. You have to have the real fire. I'm just going to tell you, you can't play with false fire. When you play with false fire, guess what happens? You get burned. Yeah, and, that's, and we don't know. No, you got to stick with it. you got to stick with it. And so I answered the call of God at 26 years old, and I went to my pastor because we started attending a small little church with about 30, 35 people or so, and I went to my pastor and I said, I feel called to the ministry. I feel, I feel like I got this pull. I said, I feel like I need to go to Bible school. That's what I felt. I felt that pull. And this is what he said to me. He said, listen, that's great and that's wonderful, but why don't you do this? Why don't you just serve and things like that and start the Rhema Correspondence course? You know what I said to him? I'll do it. Amen, I'll do it. So we started the Rhema Correspondence course, and we started doing it. And then, and the most amazing thing happened to me I did anything and everything in the church that needed to be done. I didn't have an opinion of what I shouldn't be doing or what I should be doing. I was in the house of God. I had a major encounter with God. It was a sound from heaven that resonated in me. It changed my whole perspective of how I read the Bible. It changed my whole perspective about church. It changed my whole perspective. I had answered the call. Now i got to get qualified to be chosen. I was called at 12 years old. Filled with the Holy Ghost at 17, at 26, I answered the call. And now I had this major encounter that radically changed my life. Went to my pastor and said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll clean the toilets, I'll serve, I'll do this, I'll do... and gladly did it. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. When they had special meetings, I was in those meetings. I rearranged my schedule. Why? Because I'm called to the ministry. Called. Hello. Had an encounter with God. The fire of God fell on me. If we were going to go on vacation, I, Pastor Marie and I, we'd take our kids, we'd go Sunday morning to church, and then I'd go to on vacation. Hello, somebody. I didn't miss church. I didn't miss church. I was there. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to show myself to be faithful to Almighty God of what He called me to do. I had the desire to preach like crazy. It just burned like in me. But my pastor said to me, you're not ready to preach yet. You're not ready to preach. I used to get so mad. I did. I used to get so mad. <laughs> Who's he telling me I'm not ready to preach? If you got John 3, 16, you got everything. So because I had this burning desire to preach, come on, hello, somebody. You have to understand something. I had the anointing. I had the, I had the Holy Ghost. But I needed the balance of the Word to balance me out so I didn't turn out like a flake and on, this, on the spiritual, uh, spiritual heap, junk heap, and, and blew something up. Blew myself up, blew everybody up. Oh, come on, hello, somebody. You're, you're listening very intently. This is good. Praise God. 
And so I submitted to him, and I did it. So I had this burning desire to preach. I just had to preach. And then I consumed Pastor Rodney's stuff. I didn't listen to anything else. I just consumed Pastor Rodney's stuff. I didn't listen to any other podcast. I didn't listen to anybody. And then later on, I started listening to people like Benny Hinn and Reinhard Bonnke as I began to find out who these people were, Maria Woodworth Etter and, and Catherine Coleman and Amy Simple McPherson and Jack Coe and... and um, T.L. Osborne and Raymond T. Ritchie and William Branham and all these people. They were just flowing with the Smith Wigglesworth, John G. Lake. I mean, John Alexander Dowie. I mean, just started immersing myself into, into these people. I've read every book that's on my shelf at my house. Come, you need to come to my house and look. I've read every single one of those books. I became consumed. Oh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I wanted people to encounter God like I encountered God. I discovered after all this time, not a whole lot of people really want to encounter God like I've encountered God. There are some that want to encounter God, but there are many that don't want to encounter God. When I was filled with the Holy Ghost at 17 years old, it wasn't just a... It wasn't just a it wasn't that. It was, I was yelling at the script, top of my lungs. It cleared the whole place out. I mean... I don't know if you noticed or not, but I do things kind of large. I just really do. I'm kind of extroverted like that. So I served for almost three years with no conditions. Did the Raymond Correspondence Course. I had to preach on me. Big time. But my pastor would never let me preach in the pulpit. It wasn't my pulpit. It was his pulpit. God gave that to him. He didn't give that to me. So you know what I'd do? I'd go out to my utility shed. And I'd open the Bible. And I would preach to the lawnmower. I would preach to the weed eater. I would preach to the shovel. And I'd definitely preach to the hoe. I'm just telling you right now. And I'm serious. I would preach. I would open my Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost fully came, they were all assembled together like you lawnmower, like you weed leader, like you shovel, like you hoe. I just want to welcome all the hoes in the place. Praise God. I'm glad you came to the service tonight. God's going to do something for you. Praise God. Amen. And, I, and then I'd read, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'd say, lawnmower. Lift your string. You're about to be filled. And then they give, give voice to it. Give voice to it. And I say, ho, lift your, your whatever. Fall off, the, fall off the wall and onto the floor. No, I'm just kidding. No. But I would preach to that. I have to show. I preach to that. And then I would go into a prayer closet. And I would open to Acts chapter 2. And I'd get halfway down. And I'd fall out into the shoes, laughing and weeping uncontrollably all by myself. Didn't have to be in a revival service. I held on to it. Wasn't going to let the devil, no demon, no angel, no nothing take it. And believe me, over the years, I've had people try to take it. Big name preachers tell me if you don't change, you're going to become antiquated. In other words, antique. What? I remember one time sitting at a pastor's. It was an associate pastor of a fairly large church and... I'm not going to mention any names, but I was sitting there, and I met with the pastor, and he looked me in the face, very well known, looked me in the face and told me, if you don't change your ministry, he said, I had to change my ministry, I had to adjust my ministry to the way the culture was being changed. 
And if you don't change your, your life and your ministry, you become an antiquated. Well, come on, hello. Obviously, this person is very successful on television, reaching the world, thousands of people, and then you're sitting there, and he's talking to you, and you haven't reached anybody, and all of a sudden, you start to think, well, my God, have I lost my mind? But it was all a test. Am I really going to hold on to what God's given me? Or am I going to let it go? Am I going to sell it down the road? That's the truth. We have sat down at tables with big name ministers. I'm not going to mention their names, but we have sat on the table with them. We'd walk. We don't say nothing. Zip the, zip the lip. I mean, you just listen. All you do is listen. And you listen to the good, you listen to the bad, and sometimes you listen to the ugly. Because in my mind, I thought if I could just get around that minister, they'd recognize my anointing, and then they'd open the doors for me. <laughs> I found that that was a bunch of hooey. I'm like, all they're interested in is in their own ministry. Praise God. They're not interested in anybody else's ministry. And then for a period of time, I got my eyes off of God, and I got it on demand and started hanging around individuals. And then I realized that wasn't it. I learned a very valuable, serious lesson. And then I'm like, I don't want to be on television. Because I've been on television, folks. I've been on television. I've been on TBN. I've been on the Lacey broadcast. They've interviewed me with my books that I've written. I remember I was on Lacey broadcasting because we lived in Chicago. And we drove to Indiana, which was the main television station there in Indiana. And they found out about my books. They interviewed me with Revival the Last Call. And they interviewed me with Flowing in the Anointing. I hadn't written the Spirit yet. But they interviewed me. And I remember after the interview, some guy wrote an email to me. And he said, I see you're getting some kind of recognition. And then he said something else that wasn't very nice. And I thought, my God, do I want that? Do I want that? No, let me fly under the radar. Let me fly under the radar. Let's reach the world by flying. To the best of our ability, let's fly under the radar. Come on, I think we can probably get more. Listen, when you're in stealth mode, your enemy can't find you, can't see you. And seemingly, you're able to go in as a special ops and drop their grenades, and you leave before the enemy could ever really recognize what just happened. And we've done two One Nation One Days. Two. Just, just the little congregation that we have here. Two One Nation One Days. I had another prominent minister when I told him when we did in Honduras. 2,500 missionaries on two 747 jets landing in Honduras for nine days. Over 1.5 million people gave their hearts to Jesus in 1.5 million days. That minister, he's known, looked at me and said, I've never heard anything like that in all my life or ministry. I was very respectful. I didn't say to him, well, there's a lot of things you haven't seen in her, but I thought it. I didn't say it, but I thought it. How do you get to be a part of the very first one nation, one day that God's doing in these last days where an entire nation is affected by the gospel? How do you, how do you get to be a part of that? How do you get to be a part of taking uh, this, the city that we were a part of to take, even though it was a very small part? How do you get to fly in first class on a 747 upstairs and, and on the third seat? Which actually, when you do international, you know how much that sucker cost? $20,000. It didn't cost us $20,000. To sit on a 747 international intercontinental jet. 
But how do you how do you get there? Faithfulness. Surrender. Doing whatever you need to do, however you need to do it. It was five years before I ever preached my first adult meeting. Five years. Three years serving. And then we moved to Ramah. Oh, I guess it was our first year. Four years. It took four years. Glenn Starr, let me cut his. Was that the second year or first year? Was that, it was about five years. So the, the desire to be in the ministry was burning in me. Nobody could take it from me. And I was tested over the years. Is it you're going to lose that? You're going to let that go? You're going to let that go? You're going to let that go? No. The answer is no. I'm not letting it go. So he served for three years. My pastor had to come to me. He came to me and said, I think you need to go to Ramah. And that pastor didn't want to lose Pastor Marie and I because we served whatever capacity we needed to serve in. He actually stood up one time and he said, listen, I got this project. I want somebody else to do it besides Pastor, I mean, besides Jack and Marie. Would somebody else please do it? Did nursing home ministry. He would let me go outside and do whatever I needed to do outside. I started nursing home ministry. We would have church at the nursing home. I would take a, a boom box when the boom boxes were around. And I would put some songs on there. How great thou art. Come on, hello somebody. And I would lead worship. How great thou art. You know, with about 30 to 50 of the, you know, the residents there, and they'd come to church and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd open the Bible, and I'd preach the gospel. And then I would lay hands, and then I would catch. Praise God. Amen. Because it was just me, her, and the boys. Nobody else wanted to come to nursing home. I did that for six months. I had to preach. And then what I'd do on Saturdays, or during the week if I had time, on Fridays, I'd go down to the local uh, elementary school, and I wouldn't stand on the school grounds. I'd go to the corner because the, the city bus would come by and pick up the kids. And, and every, every day there would be at least 10 to 15 kids out there. So I'd take my little New Testament, hello, and I'd go out there on that corner, and I'd say, hi, um, I'm the youth pastor for Tampa Worship Center down on the corner here, and I just wanted to share. Y'all just gather around, gather around. Sure enough, they all gather around like little chicks, and I'd say this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door of his heart, I will come into him and sit with him and he with me. There is no other name named among men which men must be saying. That's the name of Jesus. For I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me. So, hey, listen, guys. Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to come? No, no, no. Just pray this prayer right now. Just go ahead and bow your head. I wouldn't wait for them to go, huh? Bow your head right now. Father, forgive me for all my sins. I open the door of my heart and ask Jesus to come into my life. I make you the Lord in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And they're like, amen. I say, hey, listen, you know we have youth services on Wednesday night. I want you to come on down. If you can make it, it starts at 730. We're right here in the, in the shopping, small shopping center, Tampa Worship Center. Just come on down. I did that one day. The second day, I went back out there. Praise God, because I had fruit. Praise God, amen. I got a little bit of a harvest. So I do the same thing. And all of a sudden, here comes this kid. He must have been about 13, 14 years old, had a Motley Crue t-shirt on. Motley Crue. All of a sudden, you know, in Tampa and, then, you know, where we were at in town and country, sometimes we get these little short little rainstorms, you know. All of a sudden the wind starts blowing and the cloud comes over and it starts to rain and it lasts for about 10 or 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, you know, the sun, the sun comes out. Praise God. Amen. Till the next little rainstorm. So all of a sudden the wind started blowing and the clouds were getting a little dark. And he stand, he's standing there. He said, hey, preacher. I said, yes, sir. He said, feel the power of the wind. 
I said, son, I don't know anything about that, but if you let me pray for you, God will show you his power. He said, okay, preacher, pray for me. That's all I needed. Praise God. Amen. So he's holding his hands out like this, and all of a sudden I just walked up to him, and I put my hands on him, and I started going, and he went, dude, dude, whoa, 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 dude, what are you doing to me, man? What are you doing to me? He started backing up. All of a sudden I took my hands off, and he looked at me, and then he ran across the street. So the next day, he didn't show up. On Friday, guess who showed up? My motley crew friend. He was a little bit more humble. Most amazing thing. He just walked up to me really nice, like, and he said, hey, preacher. He said, I got a question. I said, he said you were here two days ago. He said, yeah. He said, dude, what'd you do to me, man? What well, that language you speak in Spanish? I said, no, I don't know anything about that. All I know is that. I said, what do you mean? What happened? He said, he said yesterday, he said, man, when you put your hand, on my, my, on your, your hand on my shoulder and put your hand on my chest, he said, I couldn't even get out of bed. He said, I, I stayed in bed. I couldn't play video games. I couldn't do nothing. He said, what, 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 what is that? And I said, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I do know this. Have you ever given your heart to Jesus Christ? I always bring them back to Jesus Christ. Listen, you can't call yourself an evangelist if you don't win souls. It's impossible. You have to understand that God gives you your own. He helps you sit under to train you in what you don't know. To impart. To impart what you don't know. I was under Pastor Eddie for three years of what I didn't know. Then I was after past, under Pastor Hagen for nine years for what I didn't know. And I was under Rob Thompson for six years of what I didn't know. And you know what? And God, when the season was up, I, with the blessing of the Lord, it was absolutely right. And I went from one place to another place to another place. I never, ever went out and well, I don't know where I'm going. I'm lost as a goose in a snowstorm. I don't know where I'm landing. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm having a wilderness experience right now. I just don't know where I'm at. People want to be in ministry, but they don't want to pay the price. That's paying the price. And then you have to understand, we have a thousand-year millennial reign in which we will be ministering to the people that have been on the earth after a seven-year tribulation period. There's another thousand years where those people will need ministry. That's the reason why I can stand on a platform and prophesy to a six-year-old, you will reach hundreds and thousands of people, and you will minister to the youth, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, well, my God, what if we only have 10 years or 15 years from now? And then it dawned on me, millennial reign, millennial reign. Preaching the gospel during the millennial reign. Some ministries won't be birthed until the millennial reign. I have to understand that. I've, heard, I've learned some hard, valuable lessons. Painful. And some of, most of the pain came from me, my doing. Blame those other ministers because they didn't recognize. I blamed myself. I realized, my God, I got my eyes off of God and got my eyes on man thinking that they would, oh, you're, just, you're so anointed and you're power of God and the joy of the Lord and people get drunk and tumors disappear out of dog's ears and just all kinds of wonderful things that God does, you know? And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, my God, how come nobody recognized? But I realized they ain't going to recognize. They're going to recognize their own selves. They're, they're going to run their own race. They're, and it's not my fault and it's not their fault. They didn't recognize whatever. No, I want God to recognize. So at 26 years old, I entered the call of the ministry. Served for three years 
underneath Pastor Eddie. There was one point in time I was so frustrated, and then I came to myself, just like the prodigal son did in Luke chapter 15. And I went to him, and I said, I'm so sorry. And matter of fact, we, for two, we actually, there was one situation. I was brought in his office, and he yelled at me. And like I told her, I said, if he yells at me one time, I'm grabbing your hand. I'm standing up, and we're walking out of here, and we're not coming back. And sure enough, came to the point, he started yelling at me. I said, that's it. <laughs> Grabbed her. We walked out. He come running after us. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, yeah, well, well this is what we're going to do. We're going to take at least two weeks, and we're going to pray, and we're going to seek God. So then I think this was probably on a Friday. I think it was or a Thursday or a Friday or on a Wednesday or something. I can't quite remember. And then I, all of a sudden, you know, Sunday morning we slept in. We did. And I thought, okay, let's go to breakfast. You know, and we're seeking God. We're pondering. Hello. And all of a sudden, we went to this one particular restaurant, and we're sitting in the restaurant in the back, me, Marie, and my two kids. And all of a sudden, guess who walked into the restaurant? It was my pastor. He walks right in. I, my eyeballs, whoa. I looked at her. I said, we're not going anywhere, are we? She said, nope, we're not going anywhere. I said, out of all the restaurants, we weren't even in town and country. We were out of town and country. I think we were on Dale Mabry, somebody, and here he comes walking in. We weren't even in town and country. So I called him and I made an appointment, and this is what I told him. I said, I'll do anything you ask me to do, anything and everything you... I said, I'm putting everything on the shelf. I will serve you till Jesus comes back or he does something different. And all of a sudden, a weight lifted off of me. Because I knew that I was called, but I couldn't make anything happen. I couldn't force anything to happen. No, I had to let God, I had to let go and let God do what He wanted to do in me. Now there was, after a period of about three years, there was this pull. It was almost like I just put everything on the shelf. And then I did feel, there was was this tug of war feeling that if something didn't change, if I didn't go into something else, if I didn't go into the next phase, that I was going to backslide. So it was almost to that point, and then within a, powder, power, a matter of months, my pastor came to me and he said, I, listen, I just need to tell you this. The Lord's been dealing with my heart. You're supposed to go to Ramah. So I thought, oh, my gosh, okay, great. So we started making preparations. I went, came home, and I told her, and she said, yeah, we're supposed to go. And so all of a sudden, I started making preparations. We put our house on the market. I sold my house. Sold my second car, sold all the furniture. I gave away my janitorial business that we built for 12 years. Gave it away to a guy that worked for me for an entire I gave him everything. All the accounts, all the equipment except the carpet cleaning equipment. Because I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do while we're in Bible school? Do you want me to get a job or do you want me to work the business? And he says to me very clearly, what's your armor? I said, it's business. He said, take your carpet cleaning equipment, take your carpet repair equipment. He said, I want you to start over. I said, okay, great, then we'll do it. Listen, we were going. Whether we sold the house or not, we were going. We packed up. We, there was a certain time that we had to be there. Get this. The very day we were pulling out was the day we were signing the, the sale of the house on the mortgage. The very day. And I remember this one right here. As we were starting to drive, we got the U-Haul truck. Well, it was not a big U-Haul truck. And we got my truck attached to the U-Haul, and we're driving, and she turns to me and she said, all of my stuff, all of our stuff of 10 years of marriage is in this little truck. And we're going to a place called Broken Arrow. Imagine that. (laughs) Broken Arrow. A place we have never been before ever. We only knew one person. His name is Chad, and I can't remember his last name. 
Vanderipe, Chad Vanderipe. Let me tell you how we met Chad Vanderipe. Brother Hagen came and did some meetings in, in Lakin at Pastor Reggie Scarborough's. We were sitting on the pew. The joy of the Lord was falling in the place like crazy. And I think Chad was either sitting next to us or in the front of us or something like that. And we met Chad Vanderup. He, he said, I've come down. I, he said, I, I go to Ramah. I'm part of healing school in Ramah. I said, oh, okay. I said, we're moving there. He said, well, look me up when you get here. That's all. Chan, brief little introduction. We drove into Broken Arrow. Amen. Never been there before. Now we got to hook up at a, at a hotel. And then we got to find a place to live. And I remember calling Chad and all that kind of stuff. And he said, hey, welcome and all that kind of stuff. He really didn't help us with anything. We didn't really know. But, he, you know, he was at least a face. We put a face together. And then all of a sudden, we started looking at, at apartments. And we're like three days, and we haven't found an apartment yet. And all of a sudden, we went to Quail Oaks, Quail Hollow, Quail Hollow Apartment Complex. And all of a sudden, when we walked in, they had this little box. Um, was it free rent or something like free? It was a what? It's Monopoly game for free rent. Yeah. So you filled, this, you filled this card out and you stuck it in the box and all that kind of stuff, right? So we're like three days into it. And all of a sudden, we can't find an apartment. We get a telephone call out of nowhere. Mr. and Mrs. Myers, we just wanted to let you know you have won one month of free rent. When do you want to move in? I was like, today. <laughs> we want to move in today. So we went and signed the lease and all that kind of stuff. And we had the first month rent for free. Through all of our life, even our young life, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, we tithed and we gave offerings even when we weren't in church. And I, th- I believe truly that because we tithed, God was able to fix our marriage. And God fixed our marriage even when we were out of church. I tithed to, to, to um, what was it, Pastor Brooks's church, Faith Covenant Fellowship. We tithed. I sent every, every single month I sent the tithe to them. Even though we weren't attending the church, I still sent the tithe. I mailed it. Why? Because at least I understood totally in my heart and in my mind, I am not going to be a robber or a thief. I may be a lot of things right now, but I'm definitely not a thief, and I'm definitely not going to rob. God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the one who gave me breath, and the one who removes oxygen off the planet, now everybody dies. Praise God. Amen. I kind of understood that. Don't be a thief. Don't be a robber. You might be a lot of things, but you're not a thief and a robber. It's awfully quiet tonight. Yes, you are. So we loaded up everything, and we moved out to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and started Rama. Now, because we served in every single department for three years without complaint, no matter what, and all the time that we were in church, never missed. Why? I was called of God. Called, anointed, and appointed. And I answered the call. Now i got to qualify to be chosen. So for the three years of serving in every single department, three years of getting my heart right, three years of working through the difficulty, three years of all the challenges, three years of the sacrifice. Ooh, hallelujah. Now I got two more years. Our first year at Ramah, we just felt like we didn't need to serve in every single department. We were on the altar care team when we were in town. We were on the altar care team. What the altar care team was is when Pastor Hagen had a, you know, he would call for those that wanted to be saved or filled with the Holy Ghost. Then the altar care team would take the individuals in the back and we got a chance to minister to them individually, whether the baptism of the Holy Ghost or for salvation, all that kind of stuff. We saw it with our first year at Raymond. Our second year at Raymond, we didn't feel like we needed to serve because I started traveling. I, get this, I was in a meeting, in, our, in a Richard Moore meeting 
in Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually in Broken Harrow, which used to be Eastman Curtis, Eastman and Angel Curtis's church. Well, of course, that church had closed down, and, Richard, and another church took it over, and Richard Moore was invited. And I was on the floor laughing uncontrollably next to a guy, and he was laughing uncontrollably. And I'm on the floor, and he says, hi, how are you, sir? And I said, how are you, sir? He said, I'm doing good. I said, well, what do you do? He said, I, I pastor an Assembly of God church in Grove, Oklahoma. I said, well, I'm a Rama student. He said, you're a Rama student? I said, yes, sir. I said, maybe I can come to your church and hold a revival. He said, well, maybe you can. Well, I'm sharing some stories that you all have never heard. You've never heard these stories. He said, well, maybe you can. I said, I would love to come. So we went and we did a weekend row Bible with him. Power of God fell. People were coming. People were coming. And then he says to me, he said, can you come back next weekend? I said, I think we can. And we had to drive from Tulsa to Grove, Oklahoma, which is two and a half hours one way. And so revival hit. And he said, hey, listen, I'm going to run with this thing. I said, okay. So we went every other weekend for nine months. And it created a stir in that Assembly of God church. To the point that there were people that were very happy about it. And there were people that were very mad about it. And the people that were mad about it called the district superintendent. And I remember getting a telephone call on my recorder saying, hey, listen, we don't want Brother Hagin to come back to our church. I felt like the Apostle Paul. Revival. Or riot. Praise God. Amen. Wherever the Apostle Paul went, revival happened or riot happened. And get this. After nine months, Glenn and Karen Starr and their son Jennifer and their daughter Jennifer and what's the youngest daughter's name? You remember? Okay. And so all of a sudden, listen to this. He got fed up with the the Assembly of God not having the move of God. He wanted the move of God. So guess what happened? That church sold and a funeral home bought it. You know home about it. Revival. The move of God. I want to be in the ministry. I want to be in the ministry. You know, that can really go against your psyche. You're thinking, my God, I went and did a revival for nine months, and all of a sudden it turns into a funeral home. My God, what happened? How about this one? You go to a church, and you're at a camp meeting at a church, and all of a sudden a pastor walks up to you and says, hey, listen, will you come to my church? And I say to the pastor, I said, well, why do you want us to come to our church? He said, I want a revival in my church. I said, well, listen, I, I, I'll have to, I said, we'll stir up every religious devil in your church. He said, I need some religious devil stirred in my church. I said, I'm your man. <laughs> so we started, out on a, <laughs> we started out on a Sunday morning. Absolutely wonderful. So we went to Sunday night. Went to Tuesday night. Went to Wednesday night. Thursday night. On the anointing service. The Thursday night, I would do an anointing service. I would preach on the, along the lines of the anointing. And every single night, the, the, the five to six demons, I mean deacons, excuse me, I'm sorry, that slipped, praise God. They would sit in the back of the church, and they would cross their arms, and they were looking. You have to understand, I was in a full gospel church that used to be a disciples of Christ. It was a full gospel pastor in a disciples of Christ church. The disciples of Christ do not believe in the gifts of the Spirit over today. Hello? So he had a split congregation. Those that were full gospel and then those that were disciples of Christ. And all the board members were the disciples of Christ. And they were on their seventh pastor. That ought to tell you something right there. On their seventh pastor. So here I am, I'm preaching the gospel and the joy's breaking out and miracles are happening and God's doing some wonderful things. And then all of a sudden I met Jr. And Jr. today, is, he's a pastor, he's pastor of church. The dude stands six foot two, he weighs 285 pounds and used to be a biker guy, gang biker guy. Got born again, 
was in the Marine Corps. James, you'd love this guy. <laughs> so he'd be my catcher because nobody else would provide a catcher for me. He's like, Pastor Jack, hey, Brother Jack, can I catch for you? I said, absolutely, I need. So all of a sudden, I preached on the anointing on Thursday, right? And all of a sudden, the six deacons turned into seven deacons. And this time, they didn't leave. So I'm up on the platform right now, and the power of God was falling and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I see those guys. And every night they would leave, but tonight they stayed. So the place was cleared out, and I said, oh, Lord, what's going on? He said, you see those seven guys? I said, yes, sir. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm gathering my stuff up the platform. I'm talking to the Lord. He said, you see those seven guys? I said, yes, sir. He said, they're going to meet you in the parking lot. I said, oh, my gosh. What do you want me to do? And he said, well, what did I do when they tried to push me off the cliff? I said, you walk right through them. He said, that's what I want you to do. I said, well, I could get JR, you know, and things like that. He said, no, don't worry about JR. He said, I just want you to walk through him. I said, okay. So there was a side door on the side door. So I came off the platform, had my briefcase, went through this, and all of a sudden they made a beeline for me. And I went through the front door into a hallway into the parking lot, and they all busted through, and they said, hey, Jack, we want to talk to you. I said, yes, sir, what do you need, Nolan? All of a sudden they surrounded me in the parking lot. In America. In the United States of America. They surrounded me and Nolan says to me, who's been telling you we haven't had revival? We had revival here in 1947. It's 1999. That's what he said. Who's been telling you? I said, nobody hasn't been saying anything about anything. Excuse me. And I just walked right through them. So all of a sudden they followed me, right? And somebody said something to me like, good night, Brother Jack. And I said, good night. And I stopped in the parking lot. Well, they passed me, and, they, and on the property was a trailer. And it was the church's vestibule for the pastor. And Daddy Big Bucks, who had been, hadn't been there all week long, was getting reports of what was happening in the church and the revival and the move of God in the church. And all of a sudden, they walk into his house, didn't even knock on the door, walked right in. They, and I followed them right in, and I'm sitting on the couch, and, and about three of them are around the pastor. The pastor is sitting in his lazy boy chair. He's got his sleeves rolled up. He's like, yeah, my heart has been kind of working you know, all week long and all that kind of stuff. Well, pastor, we hope that you're fine. And I'm thinking to myself, these bunch of hypocrites, these swallow a camel choking a nut, full of dead men's bones. They're in here manipulating this pastor like they've manipulated every other pastor. So I, I, I started to get a little angry. And I said, if they start in on this pastor, it's just not going to be pretty in this living room. I said, they may beat me up, but they're going to have to work real hard at it. <laughs> they're going to have to work real hard. You may blacken my eye, blood in my nose, and blood in my lip, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to work really hard. So all of a sudden, Nolan said, well, we tried to talk to Brother Jack, and he wouldn't talk to us. So they walked right out. So Friday night comes. And because the pastor had been getting this stuff all week long, he just stands up behind the pulpit and he says this. He said, before I introduce you to Brother Jack, he said, I just want to let you know we're not going to have any catchers tonight. Somebody shouted, Amen, Pastor, Amen. He said, no, no, if it's really God, you don't need a catcher. I'm thinking, my God, we have catchers so people don't bump their head on the pew and stuff like that, you know. Hello, listen, if you're under the power of God and somebody steps on your hand, you're going to feel it. Come on, hello, somebody. I mean, really, if you're under the power of God, you're under the power. Somebody steps on your hand, you're going to feel it. So he said, well, let's just do this. He said, you know, he said, I'm going to have Brother Jack come and preach, and he'll just turn it back over to me and all that kind of stuff, and then we'll see what God wants to do. So I preached, and I, I submitted. I know how to submit. I learned three years how to submit. 
learned how to submit, so I learned, I learned how to submit, so I know how to submit, so therefore God could use me because if I ever needed to submit to him when he speaks to me, I can hear his voice clearly and I would instantly obey. Oh, that's a secret right there. I'm going to tell you, that's a secret. That's a secret to submission, to spiritual authority right there. What I just said, so that if you can learn to submit to natural authority and God's put it on here, when God needs to speak to you about something, you'll instantly obey because you won't question why. Because if he tells you to turn right and when you wanted to go left, left could have ended your life. And he just needed you to obey. I'm, I'm telling you some secrets tonight. Hallelujah. So all of a sudden, I called an altar call, and I said, Pastor, you can take over. And I went and sat down, because that's what he told me to do. So I submitted. I understand when it when was my responsibility, and now when my hands are off of it. Now it's them. They have to answer to God Almighty. I did my part. I obeyed. I submitted. Come on, hello, somebody. Now it's on them. Now they're held accountable if they're missing God or not. They're held accountable if they're holding back the man of God or the woman of God. They're held accountable now. I understand that. I understand accountability. So all of a sudden, I went and sat down. And all of a sudden, the pastor gets up and he said, well, let's just do this. Those of you in the congregation, if you want to pray for these ones, you can just stand up right now and come pray for them. And all these congregation members came forward and they put their hands. And I'm sitting on the pew and God says to me, what are you doing? I said, well, I... I'm submitting to what the pastor asked me to do. He said, preach them to turn the meeting over to him. He said, did the pastor tell you you, didn't, you couldn't lay hands on people? I said, no, sir. He said, then get up and go you lay your hands on them. I said, that's right. He didn't tell me I couldn't pray for people. He just told the whole congregation, why don't you come pray for the person? Come pray for people. He didn't, the pastor didn't say, I want you to turn the meeting over to me, and I want you to go sit down, and I don't want you laying hands on anybody. He didn't say that. He just said, just turn the meeting over to me when you're done. And I went and sat down. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if I would have been sensitive enough to hear the, the, the voice of the Lord if I haven't learned to submit to spiritual authority. I'm, t- I'm telling you. The woman in Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17 that was desperate listened to the man of God and didn't even question him except for one thing she said. She said, as the Lord your God liveth, I have only but a handful of meal and a cruise of oil. And the man of God said, that's sufficient. She didn't say, who do you think you are, preacher, taking my last meal? Come on, somebody say amen. Is this good tonight? Are you okay? I hope you're all okay. If I'm stepping on your toes, good. Praise God. Amen. I'm trying to help you run your race, trying to help you finish your course, trying to help you get to what's in your heart. Hello. So I went, and the Lord said, what are you doing? And I said, well, he told me to sit back down. He said, did did he tell you that you couldn't lay hands on people? I said, no, sir. He just said, for those of you in the congregation, I'm sitting in the congregation now. Come lay your hands. He said, get up and just go put your finger on their forehead. I said, okay. So I was sitting in the front row, and there's a whole row of people. So I get up, and I come around. I'm going to lay my hands on just like everybody else. So I laid my hands very gently in the name of Jesus. And you know what? There was no catcher behind the person. You know what the person did? Just melted into the floor like that and, and fell on their back. Next person, melted. Next person, melted. Next person, mel- I just barely touched them. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name, I almost turned to the, I didn't do it. I didn't do it, honest. Because they think I was doing it. I wasn't doing it. 
I believe with all of my heart and all of my soul that every believer that gets born again and every person that gets filled with the Holy Ghost, you need to have an encounter with God that radically changes your life. And everybody is fitly jointed in the body of Christ. Not everybody's called to the ministry. And I mean it's fivefold ministry. Not everybody, not all. Not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are evangelists, not all are pastors, not all are teachers. He gives some. But there's other departments of ministry. Other departments. Hallelujah. So there's a, there's a price. Here's the deal. Get the joy. If you haven't, you've been coming to the church for any period of time, you should be getting it now. I'm telling you, it should be resonating within your spirit, man. You should be getting it because I'm not blocking the Holy Ghost up. I'm not putting log upon log upon log in the river so that somebody's got to come with a Holy Ghost dynamite and blow the dam up. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not doing that. I'm not damming up people's lives. It is awfully quiet here tonight, praise God. It's awfully quiet. You're not mad at me, are you? Okay, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm trying to help you walk your walk. Help me to run your race. Listen, there is a point in time where you actually step out of your own problems. I'm telling you, you step out of your own problem. That's not, you just, you just start going, doing about Jesus' work in ministry. You just go do what he told you to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You do the ministry of reconciliation. Do the ministry of reconciliation. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about your church. Tell people about mission trips. Tell people about LCU. Tell people. And then you just qualify by serving, by, by giving up. your you loving not your life even unto death. That's what, that's what it is. You pick up the cross daily and you follow Christ. Because I sure don't want to stand before the throne of God and have him look at me and say, listen, I never called you to fivefold ministry. Some are sent. Some bought a microphone and went. Some are called, some are sent, others bought a microphone and went. I, I don't want, no, 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 I don't want, don't want it. How about this, stricter judgment? In this life, not the life to come, in this life you get stricter judgment. You're held doubly accountable for what you preach, for what you say, and how you live your life. Oh, hallelujah. But people, they don't, they don't know that today. They do not know that today. They don't know these things I'm sharing with you right here tonight. Today, they don't know it. But God has not changed the, the mode of, of His operandi for 2,000 years. For three and a half years, the disciples walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, gave up their businesses for Jesus. And then not only that, when they went into the ministry after God told them, go and feed my lambs, feed my sheep if you love me, go and feed. They didn't go back to their businesses. They didn't go back. No, they just kept pressing forward and pressing onward. And they served. They served. They served. Some people don't like me telling me you have to serve. They don't like it. What do you mean, sir? Don't you know I'm anointed, called and anointed and appointed by Almighty God? Okay, well, where's that gotten you now? Praise God. Amen. Hello. How's it working for you? Because sometimes people get ahead of the game. They get ahead of Jesus, way ahead. 
And then all of a sudden, it didn't work out the way they wanted to work out because God said, no, I needed you to stay in that period of time. I needed you to do this period of time. I needed you to walk this walk. I needed you you to see what you don't see. I needed to put in you what you don't have in you so that you can get there. I'm telling you the God's honest truth. Some of the things that Pastor Marie and I get to do is because we've been there, done that, bought the car, sold the car, bought the T-shirt, washed the car, got rid of the T-shirt because the T-shirt had holes in it, and got a new T-shirt and washed the new car. Praise God. Amen. we're, We're able to tell people. We're able to tell them to help them run the race. And then when they hear with their ears and see with their eyes what they don't see, then the choice comes. The choice comes. And then they choose whatever they choose. Because out of 23 years of ministry and preaching the gospel all over the globe, I can honestly tell you that I know people who have been called and appointed and anointed, but they, they pushed, they shoved, they wanted to do it, and they never stayed faithful through thick and thin, and now they're not even in church. They're out of church. And they say, I have no church family, I have no friends, I have no, I don't, I don't know what happened, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I know what happened. They didn't spend the time like they were supposed to. They wanted something because of what they think they saw when they didn't even know that there was really reality. Oh, hello. Am I, am I hurting y'all? Are you okay? Okay, good. I just want to make sure this is good and I'm just not, you know, blowing smoke up Marie's dress. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> blowing smoke. Come on. And I know this. I know that we're called a plant city. I know that. I don't know why the chairs aren't filled. I don't know why. I just have to believe that one day that it will be totally filled. But right now, it doesn't bother me anymore. It bothered me for a long, 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 long time. It does not bother me anymore. I'm happy with y'all. Less problems. Less issues. <laughs> Hello. Hungry people that will come out on a Sunday night when most churches in this town are closed down and they're watching 21 or 24 or, whatever, or Iron Man or something. I'm not really sure. Whatever it is, they're at home. With their, with their getting ready. They're, they're having family night on the computer, on Facebook. Praise God. Amen. Away from the family. Come on. <laughs> I'm home having family night. What are you doing? I'm on my computer. On Facebook. Oh, pray. All right. How long have you been on there? Well, at least all afternoon. Praise God. Amen. Even the evening. Because, you know, I put a really powerful quote on there, and I need to see how many likes are on there. Because I have this, what is it? What, what is the fear of missing out? What is it called? FOMO. Yeah. I, <laughs> FOMO. FOMO. I have a FOMO spirit. Praise God. Amen. Because I just don't want to miss out. Everybody liking my, my post. It was really awesome. Some of the greatest preachers I've ever seen aren't in church and don't read their Bibles, but they put these quotes on Facebook. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's the most amazing. I'm now really stopping inviting people to church now because it gets the least likes. Praise God. Amen. I just just want to invite. 13. 13 likes. Praise God. Amen. You know? Most amazing. (laughs) <laughs> All right, look, go back through my history. You'll see every time I invited somebody to come to church, like 13 likes, 14 likes. But if it was some powerful quote like, God's about to bring you out to bring in 105 likes. Praise God. Amen. But you, but you got to be in church. Five likes. Praise God. Amen. For that to happen. 
I'm like, okay, I'm not inviting people to church anymore because, you know, it seems like every time I invite people, encourage people to come to church, they don't come. Please don't come to church. <laughs> then maybe they'll come. They're going to do the exact opposite of what you asked them. Please, if you listen to the podcast, please stay out of church the rest of your life. Praise God. Amen. Just do it because I'm just telling you to do it. Amen. And then all of a sudden, you guess what? Everybody, sure, he ain't telling me what to do. I'm going to church. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Please don't tithe. I don't want you to tithe anymore. Don't give and don't tithe. Then all of a sudden people are like, don't tithe. They're like, well, who's he think he is? I'm tithing. It's like when you tell somebody, don't go down to that meeting down there. There's some unusual things. They're like, well, you ain't telling me what to do. I'm going to the meeting. It's awfully quiet this evening. But I think maybe some truth is coming. Hello? Listen, if Tracy Harris's prophecy is true that there will be ministries that will come and they will hook up with you and they will, okay, well, let me try to walk some of this out. It may, it may be imperfect, but I'm just going to try to walk it out. If God's going to bring young ministers to come on up and hook, then I'm going to talk a little bit about that and then I'll talk a little bit about other things. I don't know if you noticed or not, I mean, there are people that are in this church that are called, even though we were, you know, a congregation of about 65 if everybody showed up. Maybe 80, you know. That'd be about right, about 80 or so, if everybody showed up. If I could just get everybody to show up on one Sunday morning, that'd be absolutely amazing. The chairs would be full. I'll be honest with you, they would be. But why are you going down this path? Why are you talking about this? I've been hearing you talk about it the last few Sundays, about ministry and things like that. Well, I'm trying to walk out the prophecy. I may be falling short a little bit, but I'm trying to walk it out. I'm learning. You, you, listen, I, I, just, I just tell it like it is. I'm, I'm just honest. Amen. I'm not ever going to say that I'm not called to the prophet's office. I'm not ever going to say that God correct. He, every time I say that I fear that, God's like, that's probably the reason why I'm picking you to do it, because you fear it so much. And I'm like, okay. And he said, don't ever say that again. I said, okay. So you're never going to hear out of my mouth. This is the, let the fruit prove the office, whatever that office may be. Let the fruit prove the office. And just leave it alone. Okay, but I'm going to walk it out. I'm just going to walk it out. Hallelujah. I don't know if you noticed or not, but not one hurricane has hit the United States of America this year. Even the little typhoon that came through it lost steam. I saw, I saw the news thing, and they said, yeah, it kind of died down and all that kind of stuff, and it was really kind of a, a storm that blew through and everything, and it did very little damage. It did some damage, but it didn't do a whole lot of damage. Hello, come on, somebody. Man, thank you, Jesus. I, I preached this morning, if you weren't here, on the God of the turnaround. He certainly turned that hurricane, didn't he? Oh, that sucker was like, <laughs> I'm serious. That sucker went right up the coast. It didn't even touch. didn't even touch. The eye was out. I mean, that sucker, that was totally supernatural. Totally supernatural. Oh, it's going to go through, and it's going to hit the state and go through Orlando and Lakeland and Plant City and Tampa. It's going to be devastating. Look what it did in the Bahamas. That sucker. I'm not kidding. It would have been like, just like that. You saw the prophecy, too. Yeah, yeah. you were like, yeah, he's in for it if it hits. <laughs> get, this, get the rocks. There's going to be a rock concert. Praise God. Amen. 
False prophet. She even said to me, she said, well, we're going to see if the She said that to me. She said, we're going to see if this prophecy is going to pass. God, don't fail me. Don't fail me now. You open my big mouth again, big mouth. I'm not kidding. I just started. I'm like, Jesus. Yes, sir. Before you said it. I told somebody else the exact same thing. Did you really? And then you said it. I mean, it seemed like right after that, you said the exact same thing. I'm like, what is this? This is awesome. That's awesome. Big mouth. Open your mouth. Insert foot. Well, hallelujah. So, hey, listen. This is, let me finish up with this a little bit. You, are you okay? Can I give you some more? You all right? Okay, I'm going to keep on going. The kids are in. That's good. They need to be in here anyway. So, hey, listen. Here's the deal. God told me this. It didn't have to be a hard transition from secular work into full-time ministry. God has told some people, not all people, but some people, quit work, go full-time ministry. He didn't tell me that. He just said it. Doesn't have to be a hard transition. It can be a transition. So let me tell you how it transitioned to full time. Yes, I have a business today because it funds the gospel. My business funds the gospel, and it's not. But it's not my primary calling. I don't spend hours and hours and hours and hours with the business. I don't do that. But I do spend it talking to God. I talk to God every day. My mind is constantly on God every single day. I'm called to full-time ministry. That's what I do. I'm getting ready to go to Burma for nine days. Amen. James is going to be the guy that I'm turning it all over to. He's going to run the show. He's going to be the call guy because that's what I pay him for. Amen. I'm going to tell James, James, you whatever hand you need to handle while I'm going for nine days. If anything comes up, you can, he can handle it. Amen. I don't expect anything to happen. Amen. But James could take care of it. Amen. That's... God said it was okay. He said it was okay to have a business and his hand was on it. Supports the gospel. Amen. I mean, I don't mind telling you what it supports. It's two grand or more a month goes into the church. Hallelujah. Goes into the church. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's $24,000 a year into the church, into the ministry. And then if God says to write another check or whatever, put, sow it to somebody, do it. I told Pastor Rodney, I said, I'm up, in, I'm up in my giving every month. He said, thank you. So it's going to come out of the business. Hello. Amen. And I already support him as it is, but I'm going to support him out of the business now. Not only that, the Lord told me to pay the guys good, pay them well, pay them more than the standard. They're trained. I get to taser them. I get to OC spray them. And I get to handcuff them. Because I'm legally able to do that. I find great joy in that. Amen. James gets to certify him in the G license every single year. He's also a licensed K instructor, firearms instructor. Rick loves him. Rick Shelton loves him. He's at the school. He's at Cambridge Christian, Christian Academy, which used to be um, Seminole Presbyterian. 700 students in his school that he takes care of. They love him there. Big James. Big teddy bear James. Amen. I don't have to be concerned with any of my guys. They love the Lord. 
They're all saved. They love the Lord. And they love me because I'm a good boss. I don't ride their butts. I don't just follow protocol. Just do this. It protects you. protects me. And I know you want to protect me. And I know you want to protect yourself. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There you go. Do your job. Know the, know, the, know the statutes. Follow the statutes. Praise God. Amen. And don't shoot somebody even though you feel like wanting to. Praise God. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Hallelujah. And so we run our race. We finish our course. Yes, I want the church filled. I do. I want the church filled. And there are people that have come and have actually said, and two people recently said, I don't understand. Awesome worship, awesome word, move of the Holy Ghost. I don't understand why the church is not packed out. I tell them, that's the million dollar question. I don't, I don't understand either. But you know what? We're just going to keep on keeping on. We're going to keep on moving. We're going to keep on paying the bills. We're going to pay the, the building off. We're just going to keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on trudging. Keep on keeping on. Keep on running. Keep on going to the mission field. Hallelujah. Come on, hello. Keep on winning souls. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep on keeping on. Amen. Amen. And then whosoever will. We may preach a little milk, maybe. Just... <laughs> Just a little, little milk to wash, yeah, to wash the meat down. Praise God. Amen. We're going to preach. Why? Because we're wanting to move you from point A to point B to point C. And whatever you feel called to the ministry, whatever, whatever you feel called to, then you'll fulfill it. Especially if it's burning, a burning desire. When it's a burning desire, nobody ever going to take it from you. And it will come to pass. If it's a burning desire, you can't get away from it. But tonight I wanted to share with you a little bit about what it takes to get to point A to point B. And it would be a little different for everybody. I'm not saying you have to do exactly. Uh, I'm probably a little bit more strong-willed than others. Praise God. And maybe more stubborn in some areas that God had to work some things out. But he's still working some things out. Because I, I haven't seen what I feel, feel in my heart. I haven't seen. I want to buy that piece of property over there. I have to wait on the Lord. We almost had a hook in it. It was a half a cent. I missed it by a half a cent. What do you mean? There's back taxes due on, on that property. And then it goes to auction, what it does. Is it, if they don't pay the back taxes, then you get to bid on, on the property. And, and I bid a penny, and somebody else bid a half a cent. And I, couldn't, I didn't get my hook in it. Oh, man. So what, so what happens is this, the taxes go to auction is what they do. And there are investors that go on the county. You know something about that, right, Tim? Okay. Yeah. So there's a county thing. And then you, you get to look at all the back taxes of property owners in which they haven't paid the back taxes. And then you get to bid on them. I mean, sometimes you could buy back taxes for like a thousand bucks. And then all of a sudden you got a hook in it. And then they have a certain time to pay back that thousand dollars. And if they don't do it, then the property goes for auction. And then you get to bid on the property. And then if you win the property, then you get to own the property. And sometimes it'll sell for two grand. A $30,000 worth of property will sell for two grand. Almost had, almost had the hook. Who wanted to buy the house? The guy wants way too much money. I'm not sure if it's, Pastor Marie said it's an impending sale, but I'm not really sure. I, I, want to buy that hotel, I want to buy the apartment complex behind us. Let me tell you, because I believe that there's people, and people have told me they, they wish they could move here, be a part of the ministry, because they followed us for years or been in services, but they just don't know how to transition. 
It takes a lot of money, ten grand, fifteen thousand dollars to move from one part of the state to come down here. Unless you're a single person and you don't have anything. So you know what I'm going to do? People that feel called to go to LCU or feel called to me, if we could hook them up temporarily in a place until they can get a job, get established, and all that kind of stuff, I'd like to do that. Listen, we're going to own it. I'm telling you, we're going to own the property, we're going to own the house, we're going to own the apartment. I'm just telling you, it's either before the rapture or after the seven-year tribulation period. We're going to own it. Because when we come back after the seven year, we're going to reign and rule, and angels will have to obey us. and We'll be in charge of angels and stuff like that. I mean, I've already told Rick Lott, I'm going to own Plant City. I'm just telling you right now. I'm just, I didn't tell Rick Lott that. He's the mayor, praise God. Amen. And I do have a, a, he called me his friend the other day. So that's an awesome thing. Yeah. And he said he missed us, Miss Marie and I. That's a good thing. So we're, we're trying to share, what I'm trying to share tonight with you is how the process started and how you get from one place to another place. Listen, I tried to ride somebody else's coattails. You know where it got me? Caught in the wind, flapping. Amen. Everyone has to pay a price for whatever God's called them to do, be a part of. All I know is this. I want to fulfill it personally for my life and for my family. I want to hear the Lord actually say to me, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear him say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Yeah, but we cast out devils in your name. We healed the sick in your name. Depart from me, for I never knew you. I don't want to be in that line. I want to be in the line, well done, thy good and faithful servant, and to the end of the rest. I don't know why it's taken almost 23 years to go to the nations of the world when other ministers are maybe only 10 years. Todd White, from the time that Todd White got born again to the time he's what he's doing now was 10 years. Guess what? I'm not Todd White. Praise God. Amen. I'm Jack Myers. I'm not Benny Hinn. I'm not Reinhard Bunke and I'm not Pastor Rodney. I'm Jack Myers. I don't understand. It doesn't really matter. I don't care. It's the same reward is the same reward. Hello, somebody. Whether you do it for 10 years, you do it for 23 years. Whether you enter in for one year or you're doing 23 years, if you win the lost, you go on missions, you do the Great Commission, it's the same reward. I mean, according to the parable, it's the same reward. Whether you've been working an eight-hour day or you worked one hour, you get the same, same amount. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Same reward. So we're going to do what we need to do, how we need to do it. I don't know if Plant City has rejected us. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if Plant City really knows about us. I don't know about that either, even though we've been here for 10 years. Statistically, watch it, from the books that we've read, statistically about the 10-year mark, you've been established in the community, the community trusts you, you've been reaching the community, and, and, and all of a sudden growth is supposed to happen. January 1 will be 10 years in Plant City. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. I have pastor friends. Pastor Todd, when we did the revival for him, he was running 80 people. At the 10-year mark, he started to grow to 100 to 150, 175, had to build a building that would seat four to 500 people. And he began to grow and grow and grow. And right now he's running steady about 350, 400, 450, depending on what time of the year it is. Y'all doing okay? Okay. We are a word, spirit, church. Hello. We are not, we are not Twinkies. We are not cotton candy. We, we're, we're not cupcakes. Even though we serve cupcakes in the hospitality room, praise God, and cake and all that kind of stuff. 
But you know what helps the medicine go down? The Holy Ghost. He helps the medicine go down. He helps the medicine go down. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the anointing. Thank God for the presence of God. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet if you would. Thank you for joining us this week. It's our honor to serve you and be part of your walk with Christ. Don't forget to check out our website at lifefamilychurch.net. Have a blessed week and remember, the best is yet to come.